Make us one. It's a great idea. But there was a small church in northern Minnesota years ago that divided over where to put the offering plate after the collection. Some of the people felt that after the collection, the offering plate should be set on the table for everybody to see as a reminder of their act of worship and giving. Others thought that was a bad idea, that they shouldn't have plates with money visible throughout the service. They thought that after the collection, the plate should be put under the pulpit out of sight. A quarrel ensued over that disagreement. Words were spoken. The quarrel became heated and brought up other subjects. And the church divided. Back in the 1800s, in a town named Dewberry, First Baptist Church split over a chicken leg. Now, this is pretty relevant because it happened at a potluck. So watch out. At their potluck, two men fought over the last drumstick at a church potluck. One man said God wanted him to have it. Another man replied that God didn't care about chicken legs and that he just wanted it. And the two men began to argue and voices were raised and hurtful words were said. It became so furious that one of those men took his family and left the church. And within a year, he and his family had started another church on the other end of town. And they called it the Second Baptist Church of Dewberry. There was a a man in the first century named Aristides, and he was called upon by the Roman emperor to go spy on those who called themselves Christians. And so he went on that mission. Eventually he came back and reported to the emperor. And at the very end of his report, he said this, Behold, How they love one another. That was his final conclusion about those Christians. Behold, how they love one another. And so I was, I was thinking about that when I read that story and, and and I was thinking, okay, after the last two years that we have gone through, that our Society, our world, has gone through. Is that a statement, after what they heard and saw, that the world would still make about the Christians around them? Behold how they love one another. 
Or after the last two years, would people out there in the world be saying about Christians, behold, how they quarrel and fight? And somebody might say at that point, you're a little off base there, Pastor, because the things that we've quarreled and fought about are much more important than chicken legs and offering plates. And maybe they are. But the world doesn't care about that. The world sees what they see. And they hear what they hear. And so we are going to uh, be, as we started last week, spending these first six weeks of 2022 talking about the importance of practicing unity. Um, the title of the whole series, the six messages, is One. And last week we introduced it, and as Wendy said, uh, introduced kind of the theme verse for uh, the series. is taken from Psalm 133, the first verse. Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Perhaps you've read it on top of the doors as you come in and took the time to read it before you entered. We're just going to talk these weeks about some of the things the Bible says about unity. Now, our unity as Christians is positional. It has been created by God. It's put in place by God. Uh, we are united in Christ through the common salvation. We are in the common body of Christ. We are in the one kingdom of God. We are in the one family of God. All that is true. It's positional. We have unity. But unity is also relational, according to Scripture. And so what we're going to talk about is the practice of unity, the relational part of it, because that's what the psalmist says. It's good and pleasant when the people of God live together. That's relations in unity. So we're going to talk about that uh, these weeks. Uh, if you would turn with me to John 17, back to that prayer that I read earlier. John 17. Now, some context for this chapter. What we call the Last Supper that was experienced by Jesus and his 12 disciples has been completed there in the upper room. And by the time that supper and time together is over, there are 11 disciples. As you know, during the evening, Judas Iscariot left. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed. And he will be arrested. He will be quickly tried, he will be beaten, he will then be executed on a cross, but in three days he'll rise again. And then 40 days after that, he will go back to heaven. 
But before all of that begins, he takes the time to pray. And John records that prayer in chapter 17. The entire chapter is the recorded prayer of Jesus at that time with all those things ahead of him. And the amazing thing about this prayer is that in this prayer, Jesus is praying for us. Really. Jesus is praying for us. And that's what I want to look at just briefly with you today. The prayer of Jesus. We usually call the Lord's Prayer the prayer of Jesus, but that's not necessarily something he prayed. We don't know that. But we know this is the Lord's Prayer. These are his words. He prayed them. And he prayed them for us. How do I know he prayed these things for us? Well, in verse 20, well into the prayer, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, uh, referring to the 11. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he says in verse 20, I'm praying for all believers to come. I'm not just praying for these 11. I'm praying for all believers. And when you go through the prayer, I know some people... When they look at this text and, and, and they teach on this prayer of Jesus, they see verse 20 as kind of a turning point in the prayer. And they will say, up until verse 20, Jesus has been praying for his disciples, those 11 men. But then starting in verse 20, he broadens it and he prays for all believers. And, and they see verse 20 as kind of a turning point in Jesus' prayer. <clears throat> But you can read his statement simply as saying to the Father, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm also praying for all believers who will follow. And I think the prayer itself pretty much reinforces that. For instance, earlier in the prayer, he says, I pray not for the world, but for those you have given me. Now, we can see how that's true of the the 11. God gave Jesus those men that followed him those three years. But if you go to John 6, Jesus says that the Father gave him everyone who believes in him. That everyone who believes in him are given to him by the Father. So it was true of the 11 disciples, but it's true of me. It's true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. God gave you to Jesus. And he's praying for those God gave to him. In verse 11, Jesus says, I'll remain in the world no longer. I'm leaving. But they are still in the world. Which was true of the 11. Jesus would leave. They would still be in the world. But guess what? You and I are still in the world. Right? We're here. 
just like them. We're still here in the world. He also says later in verse 14, they are not of the world any more than I am. They're not of the world any more than I am. That was true of the 11, but that's true of us, isn't it? We're not of this world. We're different. We're citizens of heaven. We're of another kingdom. Just like those 11 disciples, we are not of this world. And Jesus says in verse 16, they're not of the world. And earlier he says the world hates them because of it. But that wasn't only true of the 11. Isn't that true of believers today? Because we are not of this world, we're different. Often the world can't handle that. And we experience the ramifications of that just like they did. So what I'm trying to say is maybe we should look at this whole prayer as being for us. And that Jesus is just saying in verse 20 that that's the fact. He's not saying, okay, now I prayed for them, now I'm going to pray for all believers. Maybe he's saying, I'm praying for all believers, the whole thing. And so in this prayer, what he does is he asks the Father for three things. Three prayers on behalf of those who believe in him. He prays that they be protected. He says, protect them, Father. And specifically in verse 15, he says, protect them from the evil one. The evil one is still around as he was when Jesus prayed that prayer. The 11 needed to be protected from the evil one. We need to be protected from the evil one. And Jesus prayed that for us. Father, protect them from the evil one. That's the desire of Jesus, that his people be protected from the evil one. He prayed that. That was his desire for his people. For the 11 at that time, for you and I today. Father, protect them from the evil one. Second, he prays that they be sanctified. That they be sanctified. In verse 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. 16, they're not of this world, so sanctify them. Set them apart and do it by the truth, your word. Earlier he said, when I was here, I gave them your word. I protected them. Now, Father, you protect them. And you sanctify them with your word. Set them apart. Keep them holy with your word. And it's the same word, isn't it? It's the same truth. That was Jesus' desire, that his people be set apart, be made holy by the truth of God's word. That's his desire 
for us. That's his desire for you. That's his desire for me. That we be made holy by the truth of God's word. That God protect us from the evil one. Jesus' desire. That God make us holy through the truth of his word. That's Jesus' desire for us. And he had one more prayer. Protect them. Make them holy by your word. And he prayed that they would be one. That they would be one. That they would experience oneness. Unity. That they would practice unity. Let's see how he says it. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here it is, that all of them may be one, Father. And here's the amazing thing. I pray that they be one just as you are in me and I am in you. Whoa. And he's going to repeat that idea. He's going to repeat the idea that He's in the Father and the Father's in Him. What's He pointing to about Him and the Father? One. United. Not only positionally, but relationally. Jesus and the Father were one, and they related as one. Same purpose. Going the same direction. And he says, I pray that those who believe in me will be one just like you and I are one. Wow. And there's a reason for that. And it's brought up twice. He says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, here's one reason for this oneness that he's praying for, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Whoa. Another big statement. Jesus says, Father, I pray that those who believe in me will be one that they will experience oneness, that they will practice their unity in such a way that it will impact the world. And that by watching my people practice their unity, their oneness, it will cause the world to believe that you sent me. It will cause the attention of the world to be put on Jesus and that maybe he's real and maybe what I've been hearing about Jesus is true because I'm seeing those who say they believe in him practice this this unity they seem to be one there's a connection there that we haven't seen anywhere else 
And Jesus says, I pray that they will be one so that the world will believe you really did send me. And he says it again. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. And here it is again. To let the world know that you sent me. And he adds one more thing. And that you have loved them. That makes the practice of unity by God's people pretty important. It has the power to cause them to believe that all that stuff about Jesus is real, that God really did send him, and there's truth to it. The practice of unity seen and heard by the world among those who believe in Jesus has the power not only to cause them to believe and know that God did send Jesus, but that God loves them. But God loves them. And they need to know that, don't they? But what will the world see and hear if we as Christians are living in disunity and practicing disunity? Are they going to be led to believe that God really did send Jesus and everything I heard about Jesus is true? Are they going to be led to conclude that Jesus really did come and God loves me? Because I see those people that call themselves Christians living in disunity. Jesus is saying something really important about the practice of unity among his people. It has that power to influence the world who's watching and listening. Now, there's a little phrase that Jesus includes here that's worth thinking about. Notice verse 23. He says, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Some of your Bibles might say perfect unity. And that could cause us to maybe understand that in a way that might not be what Jesus is referring to. Uh, complete unity is a little better as far as the word used. The, the Greek word that appears here translated perfect or complete is teleos. And the word means to be mature, to be full grown. So you can see how complete would be a good word for that. Maturity, full grown. Complete. So what he's saying is, I want my people to live in complete unity. Mature, full-grown unity. And in that day, the word teleos was also used in the botanical world. Big word just means plants. All right? The word literally can mean bloom. Or flower. You know, when a, 
when a plant flowers or it blooms, the word teleos was used. It became complete. It became complete. It bloomed. Full grown. Totally developed. Mature. And isn't it true that until a, a plant blooms and flowers, sometimes it's hard to tell what it is. Now, some of you maybe could tell, but to me, it's green like everything else. But I even know the identity of a flower when it's complete and it's blooming and it's flowering. Jesus says, I pray that my people would come to complete unity. A unity that is visible, that is blooming, that is flowering, visible. So you could read this and you would be okay in the original uh, language that he's praying that his people would be brought to visible, blooming unity. A unity, a practice of unity that the world can actually see. That's complete unity. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we've achieved a perfect unity. It means we are practicing a visible unity that shows oneness, that shows a oneness in purpose, a oneness in direction. Because it's visible. It's being practiced in such a way that it's blooming for the world to see and for them to hear. And that's what Jesus is praying about. Father, protect them from the evil one. Father, make them holy through your word. And Father, make them one. Bring them to a place where they are practicing unity in such a way that it is visible to the world. So that by seeing and hearing my people practice their unity, the world will know I, sent, I was sent by you. And they'll believe that I was sent by you. And they will understand that you love them just by seeing and hearing the practice of unity among his people. So that makes it really important, the practice of unity. On your sheet, there's some questions, just to kind of wrap this up. Do you think that in his prayer, Jesus was praying according to God's will? That's a simple question. Of course, Jesus was praying according to God's will. 
And do you remember what John said in his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, about praying according to God's will? He said, if you pray according to God's will, he will hear and he will answer. When Jesus prays that the Father will protect his people from the evil one, when he prays that the Father will make holy his people by his word, and when he prays that his people will live in oneness and practice unity and practice a complete unity that's visible, that's blooming for the world to see. Do you think all of that's according to God's will? I do. And the promise is, if you pray according to God's will, he hears and answers. I think God will answer Jesus' prayer. Of course he prayed according to God's will. It was not only God's or Jesus' desire, it was God's desire. Second question. What would keep us from being part of the answer? What would keep us from being part of the answer to Jesus' prayer concerning the practice of unity? I think you could put it in one word. And it's one word that's the problem throughout Scripture. And that's the word self. What would keep us from being part of the answer to Jesus' prayer for his people practicing a visible unity that impacts the world? Self. Because self is pretty much the opposite of the practice of unity. Right? Because whether it's self-interest, self-love, self-protection, um, <clears throat> Uh, Self-will, selfishness, self-centeredness. I mean, all those selves, uh, no matter which one it is, it's going to get in the way of a visible practice of unity because unity is about the group. Unity is about others, relationships. And self always hinders that. Self always keeps us from practicing the unity. Because it's about me. It's about me. And it's really hard to practice unity with others when it's all about me. So self becomes a real dangerous thing if we're going to want to be a part of the answer to Jesus' prayer of his people practicing unity. So then on the other hand, what would help us be part of the answer. And there's all kinds of scripture for that. Um, <clears throat> we'll look at Ephesians 4 later in the series where Paul talks about things like humility, forbearance, love, patience, which is part of practicing unity. Later in the series, we'll look at Philippians 2 where Paul talks about regarding others as more important than yourself and not just looking out for your interests, but also the interests of others. And he presents that as part of the practice of unity. But let's look just today briefly at Colossians 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Here's 
Here's a list of some of the things that would help us be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer about oneness and practicing a visible unity. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in what? Complete unity, a visible, blooming unity. Those are the kinds of things that will help us be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer that his people would practice unity and in so doing impact the world. And Jesus prayed for it. That should be so motivational to us. My motivation personally to practice unity has increased this week. Realizing that Jesus prayed for it. You know, when you pray about something, it shows where your heart is, doesn't it? And I've been reminded that's where Jesus' heart was. That his people live together in unity. That was his heart. That was his desire. So much he prayed for it. He prayed for me about that. So, in 2022, I think it would be really good, not only in this church, but in all churches, in Christianity, If there could be a movement in Christianity this year, that by the end of the year, the world once again could be saying, behold how those Christians love. Because I really do think, and I've actually heard some of it that a lot of people in the world right now are saying behold how those Christians quarrel and fight and that is not something that is going to lead them to believe the father sent Jesus and everything they've heard about him is true it's not going to lead them to believe that God loves them they need to see our unity blooming They need to see it visible. They need to hear it with their own ears. So that once again, like that Roman spy, 
the world around us can say, behold, how those Christians love. Something is pulling them together. There is something about them. I hope you want to be part of that. I I hope you want to be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer. Because it's his heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for choosing to record this prayer of Jesus in your word. And Father, it is so powerful to understand that he prayed these things for us, for me. This was his heart for us. This is his heart for us. That we live together practicing unity. That the world might see. That the world might hear. And that it might influence them to consider Jesus. May that be the result of how we practice our unity in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.